Well, good morning, everyone. For those I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor of New Hope Church. And as James mentioned earlier, this is a time of our service when we collect our hearts to hear from God's Word. That's what we're going to do. Um, I shared with some of the volunteers this morning, um, and those who are serving music, the music ministry, that I often like to hold on to a promise not necessarily intentionally, but I just I find myself doing it, a promise, any time before a church gathering like this, and often before I'm preaching or doing something like this. Um, and the one that I'm really holding on to today, and I want you to hold on to it too, um, is that God loves to speak to us. And in Scripture, there are times where there are people who have ears but they cannot hear, that they're hard of hearing. But then there are times where you see God willing to break through the hardness of their hearts to get their attention, like stopping a man like the Apostle Paul, who's in the New Testament, who wrote about 13 letters in the New Testament, who is on his way to persecuting Christians, and God stops him in his tracks and just speaks to him and says, you, Paul, now you're going to serve me for the rest of your life. That's what he said. And my hope today, and I hope it's your hope as well, that you wouldn't think about so much about the state of your hearts or even your ability to hear, but that you would shift the weight of your trust upon a God who can speak to anybody and get anyone's attention to say what he needs to say. And so let's pray right now. Let's collect our hearts and let's ask God. Make that a personal prayer. Even though we do this every week, make that prayer personal and ask the Lord to speak to you. Dear Father, we shift the weight of our trust away from ourselves and we put all of our hope in you in your compassion in your love in your mercy and in your power over the state of our hearts this morning and in your power over our ability to hear and understand apart from you we trust in you to say what you know needs to be said to our hearts today. Would you make that prayer personal? Would you ask the Lord right now? It could be as simple as saying, Jesus, please speak to me. Will you ask Jesus to speak to you through his word? Amen. I don't know how many of you like singing competitions. Let's go ahead and take a unscientific poll here, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. Raise your hand if you like singing competitions. Anybody? Only a few of you. Okay. (laughs) Well, if you do, you would have loved the last 20 years. Um, I remember singing competitions even before that. Like, I don't if you heard of Star Search, it was uh, hosted by a guy named Ed McMahon, and part of it was like a singing competition. But in the last 20 years, I mean, think think of all the shows that have come out. You had American Idol, The Voice, X Factor, Nashville star, P. Diddy's star maker. And today, even to this day, when I see a commercial for it, it's always startling. It's like the mass singer. I'm like, why are mascots singing? You know, like, like what else can they come up with when it comes to these singing competitions? And you know what they're all looking for, maybe except for the last one. Um, they're looking for the next big thing. They're looking for people who are gifted, who can sing, or someone with the voice of an angel. That's probably one of the most common or greatest compliments you can pay to someone who 
uh, is a vocalist, and I think we've got several voices of angels in, in our church. Uh, you, heard, you heard them today. It's one of the, mo- the greatest compliments you can give someone is that you have the voice of an angel. And most of us, when we think about singing, let me just, let me pause. I've got like all kinds of tangents this morning in my head. But like, if you think about like an area where you have a, a, a regular place where you have permission to sing out and it has nothing to do with your skill set, it's the church. Like, I love that we can gather together here and we could just lift our voices to God and sing. And you don't have to have the voice of an angel in order to join their song. And that's what today is about. We are continuing our Advent series called The Songs of Christmas. And you're going to hear all kinds of Christmas songs. Last night in our home, we were singing the 12 days of Christmas. And I had no idea what I was singing halfway through, right? Like, I forgot not only the order, but like, I'm like what am I even singing right now with our kids? Um, You're going to hear all kinds of Christmas songs, and this series is about focusing in on the songs that were sung around the birth of Jesus, before it, after it, right? What were the songs that people were singing in those days and looking every week to share their song? And today we're going to look at the song of the angels. What did they sing, and how can we join them? Well, their song is about two things. It's praise for a Savior And it's about the peace of God's favor. Let's look at the first one. Praise for a Savior. We're going to read from verse 8 again. It's on the back of your bulletin. Starting with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, there are all kinds of unexpected things that are happening in this story. A few paragraphs before this, this is in in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. In the very beginning of chapter 2, Luke tells us that the emperor Augustus had taken a census of of the world. And if there's ever something that is a testament to an emperor's power, it's his ability to take a census of the world, right? Find out who all, like, what is the, what is the reach of my kingdom, my empire? He proclaimed that he brought justice and peace into the world. And according to one New Testament scholar and historian, N.T. Wright, he declared uh, that after his father, Julius Caesar, after Julius Caesar had died, that he declared that his father was divine, which then made him the son of a god, right? And poets and citizens of Rome also referred to Augustus, the emperor, as the savior of the world, the king, the lord. So it's in this setting, with this backdrop of Augustus claiming to be the son of a god, being, bringing justice and peace into the world, being declared as the, the Savior, the King, and Lord, it's in this setting that Mary gives birth to Jesus. And where do we find him? In a feeding trough, a manger. 
The angels appeared to the shepherds in the middle of the night and let them know that there is good news of great joy for all people. A Savior has been born to us, the King, the true Lord. And then they tell the shepherds what the sign will be and how their words can be confirmed. You're going to go and you're going to find this baby, the Savior, this King, in a feeding trough. And it's at this point, almost as if in overflowing praise, A great company of angels joined the one angel, I guess, that was speaking to the shepherds. And they burst forth into worship saying, glory to God in the highest. You know what this reminds me of? If you've ever watched a Bollywood movie. And like randomly in the middle of the movie, everybody breaks out in synchronized dance and song. It's like there's an angel talking to the shepherds about what's going on, right? That there's a savior born and he's the king, the Messiah. And all of a sudden, it's like all the other angels join in, like burst forth into united song about this savior, right? I just imagine the suddenness, unexpectedly, a great company of angels join the others and praise God for the outworking of his plan. God is doing it under the thumb of the Roman Empire. Under his nose, God is doing, working out his plan to save and redeem the world. It is being fulfilled. Praise for the Savior is born. Now, we may not have the voice of an angel, but we can join this song. But there are all kinds of obstacles that you and I face today in joining the chorus of the angels. In fact, I'll say this, I should preface this, like, the angels can sing about a Savior, but Christ didn't die for the angels, because they're not like we are, where we need to be redeemed from sin. So when we sing about the Savior, like, they actually, the Bible says, they look longingly to try to understand what God has done, to look at what the Lord has done in saving and redeeming a people like us. But we have different obstacles that prevent us from joining this song, even in the most superficial way. I think one of the reasons we struggle to sing is because just like Augustus in those days, there are people and even things in our lives that claim to rival Jesus. There's a counterclaim being made that you and I struggle with, that we're confronted with. There's a gospel according to New York City. There's some other good news being proclaimed that if you have this or if you become this, then you'll finally be happy, you'll be satisfied, you can be delivered, you can have all your hopes, your dreams. There's a counterclaim being made. There are things right now in your life, maybe even people in your life, that you're looking to, to be your savior. To deliver you. To justify your life. To give it meaning. To redeem you. For some it's their career. For a lot of people in New York, it's their career. If you can be successful and climb whatever vocational ladder that is in your, there is in your life, then your life will finally have meaning. It'll justify your existence. It'll redeem your story. It'll vindicate you for the wrongs that you've committed and the wrongs done to you. If you could just be successful, that promises to be your savior. For others, it's relationships. If you could belong to a certain group, If you can be in the room where it happens, if you can have a certain kind of marriage, or you can have a certain kind of relationship, then your life will have meaning. It would justify your existence, or it'll redeem your story. It'll vindicate the wrongs you've done and the wrongs done to you. It can even be ministry and religious activity. If you could be useful to God, if you could just do more good works, if you could impact more people, if you could be better at prayer and devotion, then your life would be meaningful, it would justify your existence, and it would redeem your story and vindicate you. 
You see, there are all kinds of things that you want to sing about Jesus being the Savior. You want to sing about him being the King, the Messiah, and the Lord. But there are other things saying, sing about me instead. Let me be your hope. Trust in me. I promise to do all those things that only Jesus said, that Jesus says that only he can do. Who and what in your life claims to do that? What if that's preventing you from joining the Song of the Angels this year? Who and what claims to rival Jesus? Who and what is Augustus in your life? Who and what holds your hope as if it's your Savior, your allegiance as if it's King, and surrender as if it's Lord? You know, when I think about having a Savior, when I'm reminded of sin in my life, when I'm reminded of my weakness, or, you know, it doesn't even have to be an explicit disobedience to, a, a disobedience to an explicit command of God in Scripture. There's a sense of falling short when I just don't even meet my own expectations. Oh, I didn't wake up when I said I would wake up. I wasn't as productive today. I didn't knock off everything on my to-do list, or I didn't clear my inbox, or I'm not who I want to be today at this stage in my life, or have what I, what I think I should be having at this stage in my life. Like, even if it has nothing to do with explicit biblical commands, there's still the same sense of falling short of the standard that I feel of my own weaknesses and limitations in that moment. What I require of myself of being a good pastor or husband or father or even a good child of God. And when I fall short of those expectations, I find incredible comfort in knowing that there is a Savior born, like he said, a Savior born to you, a Savior born to me and to you. One who saves us from all of our sins and all of our weaknesses and our shortcomings that can be found in Scripture or ones that we've created for ourselves. That He is our boast, our righteousness, our hope. You know, when I sing about having a king, when I feel that life in the world is out of control, when I read every day about suffering, disease, What's the new COVID variant or pandemic, right, that's, that's going to take grip of the world, right, that's going to grip the world what, of some injustice or violence on earth? Or when I look at my own life and wonder, where is it all going? Who's got control? Because I don't have control. Nobody else in this world seems to have control. Or the people who do seem to have control seem unjust. When it all feels out of control, I find incredible comfort in knowing that there is a king who reigns over all. That there is good news of great joy for all people because a king has been born for us who has authority in in heaven and on earth and who has authority in our lives as well. You know, when I sing about having a Lord, when I'm tired of ruling my own life, like there are some people who Like, they get so excited about their own individual freedom and autonomy. Yes, let me be all I could be and do all I want to do. And maybe that's great for some people. But if you're like me, sometimes where you're like, I am paralyzed by decisions. Like, I am scared I'm going to make the wrong choice. Sometimes I wish other people could make the choice for me. When I'm tired of ruling my own life or trying to figure out what I want to do or where I want to go or what I think is best. I find incredible comfort in knowing that I am created for a Lord before whom I should bow and look to and say, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What, what is it that you want me to choose? I am surrendered to you. There is a joy for those of you who are tired of trying to dictate and rule your own life. There is a joy found in surrendering to a Lord like Jesus. 
Someone who would come into this world and, and come in and arrive in a feeding trough. With that kind of humility, poverty, and vulnerability. What is stopping you today from joining in with the angels? What claims to rival Jesus as Savior, as King, and Lord? What, what is trying to get hope as your Savior, your allegiance as your King, and your surrender and devotion as your Lord? Unless you can identify those things, you may not realize why you struggle to join their song. Before Jyothi and I moved to, uh, moved to New York, it's been about 10 years since we've been in the city now, we were living in Houston around that time. We were, trying to, we were talking to people about the move, and uh, there are times when I still go to Texas, and I'm like, man, look at all this land. They don't have any state tax. Like, everyone, <laughs> they've got so much space. You know, there's so many nice things about Texas, and all the, a lot of the houses look the same. Like, they're, they're very large, and... Uh, this was my early 30s, and so around this time, it seemed like the people that we knew in Houston, Texas, were going in a certain direction, and here Jyothi and I are, we're moving to the second, at the, that time it was the second most expensive city uh, in, a, in the country, now it might be, the, New York City might be the most expensive, uh, more expensive than San Fran, but like, at that time, it just seemed like everyone just was buying a home for the first time, and they have like 2.5 kids and a dog, and it's like, they seem to have the life that we're, this, the direction you should be going. It seemed like we were going in the other direction. And I found myself oftentimes when I'm telling them like, oh, I feel like God is calling us in New York to go plant a church and we're just moving in obedience to him. I found myself at, at, at times like walking away with my head down wondering, are we doing the right thing? Because I didn't realize in that moment when I stood, sat back, there was a claim they weren't making it. But it's just a way that I've been mentored to think my whole life. There was a claim being made that was rivaling the claim of Jesus. That living in a certain home with a certain kind of family and having a certain kind of quality of life, that's where true dignity and security is. And it's making a rival claim to Jesus in that moment that obedience to Jesus, being where Jesus calls you, doing what Jesus wants you to do, is where true security and dignity is. That's where our identity is. Not to say that living in Texas and being in New York is mutually, like, serving Jesus is mutually exclusive. I'm not saying that, right? Like, there are good God-honoring people in Texas. But my point is, just like that, there is a rival claim being made to Jesus in your life right now. Where you find security, where you find belonging, where you find dignity. And unless we can identify those things, you won't be able to join the Song of the Angels, which is praise for the Savior. Let's look at the second thing. The peace of his favor. Let's read again from verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, the work of shepherding in those days wasn't very reputable work. You know, although there are famous shepherds in the Bible, like Moses was a shepherd at one point, David, the greatest king of Israel, was a shepherd. Even though there are notable people who were shepherds in the Bible, by the time of like the 5th century, Shepherding work was seen as a forbidden work. It was an unclean work. 
Like, nobody wanted to do it. No one wanted to be associated with it. It could make you unclean, which meant you cannot, you cannot uh, worship God as, as others did, right? If you were, maybe there was a, some uh, social, uh, you were a social outcast as a result of it. And at the time of Luke's writing, we can know this, at least, that it was a lowly work. So I just want to pause for a moment. If you could think about having an idea, something that you hope will go viral, Something that you think is, could take the world by storm. If you had something that you hope would go viral and wanted to get the message out, think about the people you would tell. Like if you could, if you had access to anybody and you wanted something you're doing or some idea you had, right? You can make an elevator pitch to anybody, I guess. Like if you had an opportunity to do that, who would you tell? Maybe Mark Cuban, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, someone with clout. Um, or like depending on your industry, if you think about how if you, when you meet somebody, for example, if you're a writer and you meet someone who works with a publishing company, or if you're a teacher and you know someone who's ahead of the union, right? Like you just would love to get into a room with someone like that so you can share what it is that you want to share, right? Someone who can get the message out, someone who can actually lift you up, right? So who did God choose when he wanted them to know the message of of what he's doing. Who did God talk to? Who did God tell to say, you guys have to see this, this great thing I have planned that I am doing? He chose shepherds, unknown shepherds in an unknown field, tending their sheep in the middle of the night. And this says something about God's favor. The angels sing glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom his favor rests. And they are exhibit A. Like there is favor for them. The people who hear the song and see the angels and behold the Christ are the people who have God's favor and the least likely and the lowliest of all. And the world is so different than that. Receiving someone's favor, like if you want favor, like the things that I've just described, it requires you to go high. Work your tail off to get into the room with the people who can actually help you, who have power. Do whatever it takes to get noticed by people. Perform and be perfect so that they will see you and vouch for you and maybe open a door for you or give you a seat at the table. Dear family, God, God's favor is so different than that. It's not about how high you can go. It's about how low you're willing to go. Are you willing to admit your need for grace? Are you willing to admit that you have no righteousness apart from him? Nothing you can boast of. Are you willing to confess that you have no power apart from him? Regardless of how gifted you are and what experience you have and what your expertise is, are you willing to go low and say that all of those things are even from him and you cannot do anything apart from him? Are you willing to acknowledge that he is all your riches and all of your strength and all of your hope? There are several things that might stop you from being able to climb the ladder and go higher and higher and higher. But what is stopping you this morning from being willing to go lower so that you can experience the the favor of God and as a result of that, his peace? If you're willing to go low, you know what he'll do? He will draw your eyes to Jesus, to behold the Christ, and you will discover the peace that comes with favor like that. This ought to be incredibly encouraging and liberating. For those of you who are like, I could 
I am not as gifted as certain people. I'm never as talented. Doors and opportunities don't open for me like other people. Like, it just, when you, for, for those of you who are like, climbing that mountain of getting someone's favor just seems insurmountable. It should be encouraging for you. Because this is a promise about, not about how high you can climb, but how low. If you're just willing to humble yourself and admit your need for God's grace, you can experience the the peace that comes with his favor. But it also should be liberating for those of you who, maybe you are in that room right now, right? You are a person of influence and you've got gifts and talents and abilities. You are on top of the mountain and it ought to be liberating for you as well. Because I know what it's like in this city when you're in one of those rooms. Not because I'm in there, because I talk to people and I know people who are. People see you for how useful you are. You're known for your gifts. You're commodified, right? You're only as valuable as your most recent success. People use you for your influence and your money and your networks, right? It's hard to have a conversation without thinking, what does this person want from me? And so for you, it's liberating to know that God's favor does not rest upon you continuing to achieve. But on you willing to say, those things are nothing for me, God. They mean nothing for me, Lord. I'm willing to go low and realize that you are all my riches, all my hope. I want the favor of being willing to not having to perform anymore, but just coming in my desperation. It should be encouraging and liberating whether you are low or high. Now, to be clear, the favor here is not the favor of one day being wealthy. It's not the favor of one day being known by all. It's not the favor that makes everyone marvel at you. Most of the people who wrote the New Testament, at least, and even some of the old, it didn't end well for them. They were killed, right? It's not that kind of favor, but it's the favor of Jesus becoming your wealth. To live in this world with him is your wealth. It's the favor of being known by him, by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's the favor of marveling at him for who he is, And what he was willing to do and is willing to still do for you. About 15 years ago, I moved to India to be a chaplain of a college in a city called Kordekanal. Uh, Kordekanal is actually, uh, it's in a a state that neighbors the state where I was born in Kerala. And for those of you who aren't familiar with India, India is like a country of, of countries where every state has its own language. Uh, They have its own culture and its own food. So if you're driving, for example, from the state of Kerala into the state of Tamil Nadu, uh, it's different, uh, which is its neighboring state where Kodekanal is. Uh, It's a different language. Um, And so there will be some English. You better hope that there's some English because uh, you won't understand uh, what's what's on the signs. Um, Just a side note, when I was able to teach there at a small little Bible college, there were people from students from all different parts of India that were there in that class. And they didn't understand each other, but they understood me because I spoke English. Like, that's what India is like. I mean, you talk about one of the reasons it's difficult for a nation to continue to, to grow in its prosperity, whatever. It's just they don't have a unified language, right? I mean, English is its, like, most common language among them all. Anyway, side note. So, Kordekanal is a beautiful city. It's, a, uh, it's on a mountain, 7,000 feet above sea level. Um, it's gorgeous. I mean, I, I got a chance to, I was living in the home of the chairman of the college. And, I mean, just from his, his, his home, there were breathtaking views. And it made me think about all the places like Kordekanal that I never heard of, that you haven't heard of, honestly, until I just mentioned it now, right? That are beautiful. And I remember praying a few months after I got there, Lord, let me see some of your best work. Like, places like this. Like, I want to see the things that you have done. It's incredible. And after being there for a few months, I was invited to attend a concert, which was being held to raise money to fight polio. 
It was, uh, uh, there was a, a polio home, children who had polio, and the money was being raised for that reason. And I should have known that all the songs would be in Tamil, which is <laughs> the language of that state. But I didn't understand anything that was being sung. And as soon as I got there, I realized quickly, like, okay, like, this is just going to, I'm just going to be sitting here listening to these Tamil songs. And I was watching the clock, wondering when it was going to be over. I fought boredom the whole time. But then suddenly, while my eyes were closed, a five-year-old girl took the stage and she was blind. And she just had this voice that penetrated the air and everyone's hearts. She was singing. You could, you could tell she was singing from the depths of her. Her song was so beautiful that you didn't walk away with a sense of tragedy for her state, but a sense of hope. And while she was still on stage, other children joined her too. Some of those who were blind, others who were paralyzed, they were in wheelchairs, and they were worshiping God. And it made me think of what it really means to be inhibited in your ability to worship God. And I realized that that evening that God actually had answered my prayer, but not in the way that I had expected. Because, yes, there are beautiful places in the world, things that can let you see and you can point it back and trace it back to the glory of God and his creativity. But God answered in my prayer in that way that I got to see his best work, which is beauty in the places that the world calls broken. Favor for those who are often forgotten. And you and I may never be able to sing like that. We may never have the voice of an angel, but we can share their song. Like there are so many different things about our experience and the experience of those children. But here's one thing that unites us and that makes our song the same is that we sing about a savior in whom we can hope. A king before whom we can bow and pledge our allegiance and a Lord before whom we can surrender. If you could think about all the ways that Jesus could come into this world to redeem the world and to undo the evil and wickedness in the world, he did not come as one who was strong in all of his might and power, but he came like those children. He came in weakness. He came in humility. He came in poverty. And if we are willing to look to him and trust in him, we will see that there is peace for us. That God's favor rests upon us. I'm going to ask you the question again. Is there anything stopping you from praising God for a Savior? Or experiencing the peace of His favor today? What is preventing you? What prevents us from joining the song of the angels?